Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 39 of ZK Live. This is our first time experimenting with a new platform. We're on PCA Live right now. Um, we are recording with fancy new microphone, and nothing is going according to plan, except for we have the wonderful Steve Basic here with us. Hi, Steve. So, but how are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful, and I'm really grateful that you took the time to talk with me about all the things building science and codings and i've heard your story on other podcasts we've talked before um i'm excited for people to get to, to know what you're all about awesome so why don't we just start by giving us like a brief rundown of who you are and how you got to be where you are today in the and then we go yeah, deeper so uh yeah so my name's Steve Bazek. I'm a registered architect. I've been in business for myself for, I don't know, 16 years now. Been at the business of architecture for probably close to 30 years. And, uh, you know, one, one of my big um, helps along the way, I guess, or my, the, the biggest part of my education was the fact that I worked at Building Science Corporation for almost 10 years. And, uh, you know, spent a lot of time taking buildings apart, um, you know, and it's, it's hard not to gain a, a, a great deal of knowledge when you're, you know, walking around with the likes of Joe Stebrick and Coda and Peter Yost every day, you know. So it, uh, it, it gave me an education as an architect that there's, I, I mean, I can't imagine there's many architects in the country that have that kind of building science education you know it's, yeah it's you were able to like combine unique. yeah you were able to combine many many years of failures that weren't even your failures by just studying failure all the time i feel like that's where i learned so much is through seeing failure and you got to accelerate yeah. that yeah and like, like you said the best part is is it, it, it was not of my risk right we were taking apart buildings and I was learning how other people failed and uh, the things that they didn't think about, the things that they didn't worry about, the things that they worried about that they maybe shouldn't have, and then the things that they didn't worry about that they probably should have. You know, so understanding the priorities. And, and honestly, I think, you know, I, I get asked all the time, what, what do you think the problem, the biggest problem with our industry is? And my answer is always the same in, in that I don't think we have a, a good sense of what questions to ask, right? We're always striving for, give me the answer, give me the answer, but we're not really understanding how we arrive at that answer. We don't know what questions it took to get there, right? We just, we just kind of want to get beamed up. We want to go from point A to point Z, but we don't really want to understand how we got there. And and that's that's the important thing, right? It's kind of like, I don't know, synonymous with a painter that shows up and he just wants to put the finished coat on and, and have it look nice. He doesn't understand that the, the prep and all the things that go into it and all those questions are the reason for success. So, you know, you just translate that and kind of scale that up and you have building science. Yeah, I, my favorite teacher in high school taught, he was like an old school guy and he would teach us about the importance of understanding concepts and not just 
the data so that we could get the right answer on a multiple choice test. And it, it was such a valuable way for me to look at learning as it's what I try to teach my team now is like we're trying to understand the concepts that underpin what we're doing so that when things are different from job to job, we can still know what we're doing and adapt and not just be like, well, when I show up, I do X, Y, and Z every single time. And not knowing why you do that so that if X is a little different this time or you don't do Y, that you still end up with like the complete package and and concepts versus like the, the specifics, I think, is kind of what you're talking about. Yeah, um, I mean, because when you have the understanding, then I have the ability to either push forward or make a left turn, make a right turn and adapt and be flexible. But if I don't know what the issue at hand is, if someone just gives me the answer and says, here, build it like this detail, and I really don't know what I'm looking at, then how can I ever improve that detail? I'm stuck just using it for that set of conditions. Yeah, yeah. When when you were look, working at um, build, the Building Science Corporation and you were looking at buildings that were failing, because that's is that's what primarily what what is building science corporation I mean, was, what do they do yeah i mean they do building investigations obviously joe travels around the country i think he's uh, um laid a, uh, laid it down a little bit but i mean in, in the heyday he was traveling i mean he was in a different major city every day talking about building science and and, and one of the things i think that's pretty interesting zach is you know, Instagram and all, all the social media is huge now. And people are posting pictures about things like a rain screen or vapor retarder. And they're posting it like they invented it. And the reality is, is, you know, I, I, I can pick literally the day where I sat down with Peter and Joe and we talked about that rain screen principle back in 96 or 98. And, and the, the reality is, is Joe would cite it as, you know, this is what Gus Handegor taught him from, you know, building science that he did in the 60s and 70s. And so Joe didn't even play it off as this was Joe's idea. It was this is how the Canadians did it. And Gus Handegor talked about it in the 70s that Joe learned from. And, and but people, you know, there's a lot of people out there who think they're inventing the wheel. Which I find pretty interesting. I, that's okay. Definitely. And I, I think that's that rain screen thing. So we I had Kyle Mock come up to a project of ours and we we did that. And I was like blown away. I was like, this is the great, this is the coolest thing ever. Because and, and we're actually I just talked to Kyle today and he's coming out to another project of ours um next week to look at because I want to build my paint jobs on a solid foundation and I'll get blamed if the paint fails later. And so a lot of times, so on that, that project that we did the rain screen on, I looked at it and I was like, there's a black, there's an exterior panel that's touching the top of a window frame. And they, I don't understand how that makes sense. And it's already starting to have some failure. And this is a four month old building. I don't want to mm -hmm. scrape and repaint this and then have them come back at me. So I, luckily I had met Kyle and uh, I got to have him come out and he detailed for us how to repair it and i posted about it i was like this is i was like so amazed i did not take any credit for it 
I'm a painter. I don't know what the heck do I know. I give Kyle all the credit, but I, I didn't actually didn't know to call it rain screen until someone like commented on the post. But that idea that we are, because for a long time I as a painter, I'm like I gotta keep water out at all costs to the point where yeah, when I was younger, I uh, I caulked the underneaths of a bunch of clapboards one time when I was like I don't know 19 years old, probably working for a painter, and I was like super detail oriented and i wanted all the shadow lines to go away and i caulked this like archway above a garage like in perfectly well like six months later all the paint peeled off and that was my yeah. education as to uh buildings needing to breathe yeah so, so i would you imagine know, you see stuff like that a lot yeah and I, the, the minute somebody pulls out a caulk gun my my um what you call it concept that i pass on to them is do not ask yourself what you're sealing out ask yourself what you're sealing in because the the building's not going to fail because the the caulk uh, allowed just a little water in most of the time it's going to fail because it didn't let a lot of the water out and that's the problem is that things get wet i i i, I won't say who but at kind of a, a nationally recognized builder at a national um, conference was doing a demonstration and he was caulking the clapboards to the inside corner. And, uh, you know, I raised my hand and said, why, why would you do that? And he said, well, it's to keep the water out. And I said, well, what about the water that gets in? He says, well, that's why I'm doing it. So no water gets in. And in front of like 200 people, I said, you know, I, I, I respect you, but I think you're pretty naive to think water's never getting behind that clapboard side because it is yeah. and it will. And once it gets in, all you've done is prevented it to come out. Um, I, I very rarely use, you know, any caulking on a job unless I'm using it for air sealing. But, uh, you know, we try and, and I do a lot of open joint rain screens. So I, I turn the cladding, literally put one by sixes and space them on the wall and make the, the whole wall air open. And uh, which I, 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 I it's a the fascinating water. concept. I love that idea. Yeah. I was we were talking about it today as I was talking about this other project. The idea that you're like it's try instead of trying to keep water out, which is obviously a fool's errand and is incredibly difficult. And if one little tiny amount of water gets in someplace, well, it has no place to go out now because you've not planned for it. The idea of this rain screen thing of, of like, I'm here, I'm going to like plan where the water comes in and I'm going to plan where the water goes out. Um, I just, I love it. It, it makes me happy yeah, as I'm a painter. Plan how because... to dry it. I'm going to yes. plan how to dry yes. it. Right. Should should yeah. it get in. And, and this should be a key to everybody. I mean, take take the top five smartest minds in building science and listen to them talk. You will never hear any one of them call it a water barrier. They call it water management and they call it water management for a reason, because you're naive if you think you're building a water barrier. Water will get in. Water will create problems if you don't provide a managed way to get rid of the water. And, and here, you're a painter. painter. How about this? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, how's this for an anecdotal story? Probably about, I don't know, it, it's, it was probably close to four years now. 
I was in a neighborhood of a house that I designed um, and worked on at Building Science Corporation back in, say, I don't know, probably 98. So what's that? It probably puts it in the 18-year mark. And the I was driving by. The, the wife, homeowner, was there. So I stopped. She remembered me. We chatted. And I said, man, the house looks beautiful. And I was like, did you just repaint it? She goes, we haven't painted it, repainted it yet. And it was <laughs> close to its 18th year. And it looked stunning. And the reason is the paint never gets challenged. Right? The water gets in and it has a place to go. I mean, the, the whole reason the, that paint fails is because water tries to dry out through it. And the yep. first barrier it sees is the paint film. And, you know, paints are really good, but they win the first four or five battles, but then they start the blister. And the blister gets larger and larger, and then ultimately the blister bursts. And you have paint failure. And all that is is just moisture trying to get to the outside. That's all it is. It's, 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 it's you know, Joe crazy. would always say, I quote him, it's not rocket science, it's building science. It's, it's ninth grade physics. It's not, we're, we're not reinventing the wheel here. Water gets in, water needs to get out. Yeah. You know, I think it, it's, it's, it's interesting simple. because as, as a painter, like a lot of times painters in my business, like people will have their anecdotal evidence of like, well, I've done it that way and it worked, but rarely is that evidence coming from oh i went back 18 years later and looked at it and it looked good they're saying well i didn't get a call back and a lot of times that's because they called another painter to come in and fix the peeling paint three years later right so you don't know and a lot of times the paint at least in my experience we're looking at like oh i have this thing and i need to make it look good so i can get paid and so caulking gets put in, smeared in spots where caulking probably shouldn't be smeared in spots. And, you know, all of those things happen. And did it look good the day you walked away? hundred percent. But I don't think there's a ton of painters who do a lot of work on their same, on the same properties over the course of a 15 year period. I don't think it's, it's super common. And so we don't see the repercussions of our like mistakes, I guess. Right. The same way that you would as an architect where you're held to a higher standard. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I have a number. I, I, my own per, my own personal house here, I have all my cedar clapboards are on a, a three-quarter inch rain screen. We're probably in year nine. And they look like, you, if I told you I painted it last year, you'd be like, yeah, okay. I love that idea. Yeah, the, the sentence that you just said about the, the paint not being stressed or strained. I, I love that, that concept. I never, I've never thought of it that way, but yeah, like mm -hmm. if there's no pre moisture pressure at all, it, yeah, you're not like, you've, you've not stressed your paint job and it makes sense that it's going to last a lot longer. Yeah. When you, when you think about it, I mean, before we had kilns, how did we dry boards? We put them out in the, the lumber yard on sticks and we dried it. So that's all I'm doing to the siding on a house. I'm putting it on a set of sticks and say for the next hundred years, just dry out there. You know, we'll paint you pretty on one side, but just dry. And that's what it's doing. 
it's just right. It's, it's tremendous. And I wish there was more of it, more of that stuff happening because so much of the painting industry is just scrape the loose stuff, spot prime it and repaint it and chase your tail mm-hmm. every four years over and over and over again. That's just standard in my industry. Um, and yeah. I think based off of what I've been learning recently, a lot of that stuff could just be prevented by the house being built better. Yeah, and, and I have those conversations with, you know, the homeowners that I work with. You know, I say I, w- I would put it on a rain screen if it was my house. And the builder says, well, you know, to add a rain screen is $8,000. And the homeowner's like, oh, my God, $8,000. I said, okay, how much? Then I look at the builder and say, okay, how much to repaint this house? Or how much to paint the house initially? And he says, oh, I don't know, it's like sixteen k And I say, okay, it, what's the average? You know, six, seven years we repaint it? So if we put it on a rain screen and we last 18 years, that's, you know, three or four paint jobs in that time frame. So you pay 8000 to save 45 So it's an investment. It's not a cost. And, you know, and I'm not trying to put painters out of business by any means. Um, but uh, it's, it, it's crazy how some people look at it. And everybody wants to build to their last dollar. And we, the, the, the other sad part of our industry is we have knowledge on how to build very well. We have it. It's here. We have data. We have understanding to build energy-free homes, to put paint on houses that'll last 20 years, et cetera, et cetera. We choose not to because there's always somebody, and I'm sure you find this, right? There is always a painter that's going to do it for less. Oh, yeah, you don't, you, you don't need to put... You don't need to put that on. Oh, you don't need to use that. That's expensive paint. You don't need this paint works just as good. So to your point, there's always someone cheaper. There's always someone who's willing to do it for cheap. That, that's kind of what you were getting at, right? right. That, yeah. I mean, there's always somebody that's willing to, like, not, let's just say, not do it right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There, 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 there's a minimum level for any system. I mean, for paintings and coatings, there's a minimum level of, stuff that you have to do to get an acceptable result and you know part of that is you know the prep work and sanding and filling and all of that stuff and using the right primer and putting it on at the right temperature and all these variables if you choose to not acknowledge them then the system doesn't work it breaks down and there's always somebody that is willing to not play along with the system and that's true of any profession carpentry architecture you know anything it's uh, we we have bad in in everything and we have good in everything so some of it is malicious bad and some of it's just ignorant bad yeah and and you know painting is one of those things that i don't think gets the due respect that it deserves like Everybody thinks they can be a freaking painter, right? I mean, from the homeowner to uh, the builder or just, oh, I'll just have my guys paint that room, you know, and it's like the two cheapest guys. You, you think because you give them a roller that, yeah, they can paint that room. And, and it's not until you see a really professional job that you go, wow, now I understand what I've been missing, right? Because that's, I mean, those rails that you showed today, I mean, you can comb your hair in them, 
yeah. you know, it's the, not everybody can do that, you know, and uh, to, to be able to do that, it's somebody that understands what they're doing. And that's what we should all strive for. We should all strive to be the best at what we're doing yeah. and, and, and consistently and... try to understand it. Like we just paint things. Um, right. You know, I'm not trying to be a builder and do painting or, you know, or even a carpenter. Like we do some very minimal carpentry stuff, replacing things in kind. And yeah. even then it's like, hey, Kyle, give me a detailed spec. And I'm calling Kyle like every two minutes, like, hey, I'm going to think, I'm thinking, yep, that's the way to do it. How thick should my like strap straps be? All right. Yep. Hey, uh, you know, because I don't know, how, like, and I'm not going to ever try to reinvent the wheel on something I don't know anything about. And, yeah. uh, and I understand that I don't know. And I think it's important to stay in your lane. Um, right. That's why we have architects. But you'll probably, yeah, well, but, but all of us, and I think you'll agree with this too, is that if you, if you paint the next house the same way you painted the last house, then you're probably not doing your job. Right. Yeah. Because there's there's something that you're going to experience and learn from that you should improve. And and it's the same with me as an architect. It's the next time I design that house or that wall assembly, something will change. There, there's there's something about it that I will have learned mm -hmm. from the last job that, you know, suggests, hey, this is, you know, going to be better than the last time. Yeah. What are some of the so when you my were phone working, charger? Yeah, right. We both have the issue now. Um, yeah, I just my phone just gave me the 15 minute. Well, I was expecting <laughs> to do it on the computer and I ended up on my phone. So oh, my phone sorry. is just I know mine gave me a warning. Six percent warning, and within finishing the that uh, that thought, it was already gone. Um yeah. that was a huge mistake on my part, though. I, I should have known better. Uh first again, first time doing the podcast not from my phone on a tripod yeah. and i have that down to a science but but hence our um, conversation you'll never do that again never do it again and right. as long as you can learn from your mistakes you know that what more yeah. can you ask for exactly you know you can't you can't i mean we're what did i somebody uh what did i say that uh it said that because we mistake, or I forget exactly how it goes, but there was a saying that went something like, because we make mistakes, that proves there's a God because they can only be the one that's perfect or something. You know, so <laughs> it was, there was something yeah. to that. It's sometimes when you make those mistakes, make a mistake, it can be, it's nice to, to at least take some solace in that, like that's being human. And especially when you get, yeah. I mean, both of us are, are high level crass people in what we do. Like, right. We, we spent our lives doing this and when mistakes happen, it, sometimes it can be that much more painful because in the moment for me, I, I know there's times where I'm like, I should have known better. I should have, I should have. And then five minutes later, you're like, all right, cut it out. Like you've done, you had your pity party. What are you yep, going to do different yep. next time? Mm -hmm. So that it doesn't happen right. again. Or the fact that we, you know, it's it's like it's like when you're bowling, right? Leaning, you you think you can will the bowling ball. It's the same with a mistake. It's like 
I know I'm, I know this probably isn't the right way, but I think this one time it's going to work for me. And we and we try and will it into success. And lo and behold, <laughs> the system always wins, right? You can't you can't will it into success. So. But we we try, and you know it's it's really interesting for me now. I'm I'm at an extremely exciting point in my life because my daughter just graduated architecture school and came on to work with me. So she's experiencing all these things that it's it's great that I'm here to help her experience it because I went through these things and pretty much learned them by myself, right? So I made tons of mistakes and I look back at some of my first designs and say, yeah, I mean, it's I'm great grateful that I didn't charge that much there because I probably would have never done that today, but, but they were happy and, and things worked out. It, I mean, it's, it's fine. But, uh, but the fact that she's there now and the questions she's asking are exactly the same questions I had 25 years ago. And except she has somebody that has an answer or I can even kind of project, you know, what she's going to be doing in the next day or two. And I'm like, just don't even go down that path. Go here. Because if you go down that path, this is where you're going to end up. So let's just not even waste those five hours and let's do this, right? So, but and occasionally she 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 pushes back, but that's good because that's how she's going to learn too. But it's it's very exciting times to because it's I'm teaching her, but I'm kind of reliving my career, and it's it's bringing back a whole bunch of memories and stuff. So it's it's great times. That's so cool. Congratulations. That I mean, no. to have to have your daughter be part of the company. I, I heard you on uh, the Modern Craftsman say that. And I was like, that's pretty cool. Because, you know, yeah. I think because you like let from what I understood, you sort of you let her do her thing. And she's like decided she wants to come work with you now. Has she yep. she's worked other places? Um, I mean, just her summer co-op jobs and stuff. But I'm. Um, you know, she wants to do what I do and, and she she likes it. And I mean, she grew up pretty much. I mean, ever since she was about five, I've been had my business. So she's only ever known, you know, dad's out front in his office doing his thing. And now yeah. she's out in the front office and another desk doing her thing. And And I do commend her immensely because her whole time in college, it would have been very easy to say, hey, dad. Can you build a model of this? Can you do that? She didn't let me touch a thing. So everything that she accomplished, and she was at the top of her class. She did exceptionally well, but it was all her. So I'm very proud of her. So, That's tremendous. And, and, and I also have my son. My son's in his third, third year of five years in architecture school. So, so I tease my daughter. And I, I tell her, I said, you know, we got two years to get you up and running. And then your brother is all you. And uh, you have to train him because <laughs> mom and I will be, you know, you know, sailing in Hawaii or something. Well, I some of the most successful companies, especially in my trade in the painting business, some of the most successful painting companies I know of are second generation companies. So right. I you know, based off of kind of what you're talking about and, and they've all sort of, you know, you, that platform that you've built is, is the heart, like I would argue, cause I'm building it just like you built it. I think it's harder to be, to start, right. You have to start from scratch. You have to build the, all that stuff. Like what I had to go through to build 
from scratch is it's much more difficult than taking a working machine. Like I'm building a machine, taking a working machine and then like souping it up. I'm always like, at least because that's from my position. It's like I'm always envious of people who have gotten to do that because there's always going to be the generational differences. There's going to be the technology differences, the mindset change of just like the mindset that's good at building the machine isn't maybe not as good at souping the machine up. So it, it's cool to think about your kids coming in and taking this awesome machine that you've built and like running with it. Like I'm having an enjoyable time thinking about it. You might be like, Oh no, no, no. I'm and and there's, you know, the biggest thing for, for me with that, I try and pass on to her is there's this legitimacy factor, right? I mean, when I started out, I was doing a garage edition. I was doing a garage and mudroom edition, family room edition, redoing this kitchen. And, you know, now I'm doing, you know, four or five million dollar home, you know, so it's it's a different scale. And now she's working with me and we're working on, you know, million dollar homes or, or homes that just have a really good budget. We're not doing necessarily garages and and stuff. So she doesn't quite know the pain of, of getting there. And it's the same, you know, with a painter, I'm sure it's like, you don't, you don't, you know, create ZK painting. And then all of a sudden, you know, someone's saying, Hey, I have this 8,000 square foot house. Let me trust you with it. Uh, you know, I, I see you got your painter's cap. So let's, uh, yeah. let's have at it. Right. You, you have to build that up. And, uh, and so you get that legitimacy and now she walks onto the scene. And so she gets that, you know, she inherits that legitimacy. You know, it's like rocket fuel. Yeah. It's, it's rocket I mean, it was fuel no different to, if than, she wants to use it. Yeah. And it was no different than when I went to a conference with Joe, Joe from Building Science. You know, you walk in the door with Joe and him chatting with you. People are like, oh, my God, you know, that's Steve. He works with Joe. It's like. You didn't even have to be yeah. smart. You just had to walk in the door with them, right? And there was this instant legitimacy that was by association, you know. Yeah. So, which is which is cool. It's cool, but the the building of it it is it is exciting, and you know, and it it's I I want to say it was perfect timing, but it would probably always seem like that. But it was getting to the point where it's like you know you do this for twenty seven years, and you're like man, some of this stuff is just getting old, dealing with clients, having this, having that, or having to chase down this payment, you know, things like that. But then, you know, she pops in and then it's this whole renewed life because it's like, hey, we got we to gotta get this rocking and rolling really good now because there's two of us and, and we do that. And, and, and I think, you know, you, you touched upon it that, when you're starting it yourself, the challenges are is that, you know, you're aside from painting, there, there's a whole business of how to understand clients, choosing the right clients, how to bill, right? How do I get my money out of this, right? How do I make sure that I'm painting on their money and not painting on my money? So if I get stuck, I got $10,000 worth of paint on that house that they're not going to pay me for. It's better if I have a $12,000 check cashed with $10,000 worth of paint on the house. And then we negotiate, you know, how to finish it. But how do you put yourself in that position? And, you know, when I take her to meetings, I always make sure that when we walk out the door and on the ride home, that we're, we're not talking about architecture. We're talking about, you know, hey, 
you see where the client did that and they kind of wanted to push back there. That's pretty typical. And this is how you handle that. Or, you know, th those things that you're not going to learn in school, you're not going to learn anywhere. You're only going to learn it across the table from a client. But if you had somebody that's sat in that meeting 30 times already, and then they explain it to you, it's a lot easier than you having to sit there for the next 10 years to understand how to resolve that issue or handle it. Right. It's, it's that. Yeah. It, it frees that's, up that's a huge um, benefit. It is. And that's the rocket fuel I, I was speaking of. I think it comes from having the, like you're not burning calorie mental calories trying to think about that stuff. You get to spend your calories thinking about other things to grow the company and to take it from where, and, and where I, like when you start, like I spend a lot of time thinking about how to just like, how do I get these pieces to fit together? Never mind, work yes. super efficiently together. And right. so when when you get to start when the company has all its pieces at least put together, now you get to optimize. Like I, I try to join a business cl um, class called Breakthrough Academy. It's for like contractors, and uh, it's it's. Yep. I was right on the cusp of, of being the size to get in, and I joined it, and I found that like it it was not helpful for me at the time because I literally needed to build my pieces. They were talking about how to optimize how pieces work together. And I didn't have my like systems put together yet. And so I had to take a right. step back and now we're working on building those systems. Um, so I, I'm excited to see what your kids can do with taking what you've built, which was, you know, is, is not the heart. It's just a different part. I mean, if not heart, it's a different yeah. part. And being able no, to really I'm, I'm like very excited. I mean, I, I've, I've had some mentors in my past that just said, you know, look, look for the successful people and then just do what they do. Right. Yeah. How, how do they handle themselves? How do they talk? It's like, you know, it, uh, it, it, I'll, I'll, I'll search out solutions that are not architectural necessarily. Like I do a lot of public speaking at conferences and, and stuff like that. So like it's it's not beyond me on Sunday morning to watch a couple, you know, preachers speak or whatever, but it's not because I'm trying to get their message. It's how is this guy captivating the 40,000 people in his audience, right? How is he getting them to pay attention? What, what is he doing? How does he talk? How does he send out that message? And because the message really doesn't matter. It's how is it delivered, right? And and how do people respond to you and deliver it? Do you get up there in a with a sense of confidence and and you talk about it and or do you get up there like you're in fear? And and I've had some friends that, you know, we would do just like some regional meetings and stuff. And I, I remember this one, the guy was like nervous as hell. And and I told him, I said, there's nobody in New England that knows this topic better than you do, right? You have nothing to be afraid of. Just get up there and talk about what you know and be confident. It, it'll shine through. And for like the first three minutes, you could see he was a little nervous, but then a couple of questions came in. He threw out some answers and people were like, oh, okay, I never thought of that. And then it kind of registered like, yeah, I do know this stuff. And it's maybe I, yeah, maybe I shouldn't be afraid. And it's, 
yeah, it's it's exciting. But the answers are out there, and it's like I, how you can weave all this together to make it something is it's always interesting to me. I'm um, I'm I'm more of a, a junkie about like success and the tipping points of things and and how do things become successful. Those are the the stories that I really really love to read about and the books that I like to read about. You know, how does that stuff matter? So it's, I'm, it's I'm a big fan also. of that stuff as well. Cause yeah. you're right. Like Tim Ferriss has a podcast that is one of my favorite podcasts and it's three hour long form. People who don't like it will say that it's very dry, but he's interviewing these like top performers and he's deconstructing them. And a lot of them you wouldn't get to hear this type of interview with. And it's cool to hear one or two. But what I really love is is the the overall, like what you get by listening to a lot of successful people is you start to f- see the trends through them. And it, mm-hmm. then I can start to, oh, I'll, I can implement those trends into my life with great confidence knowing it'll pay off. Where like of one guy might say he wakes up at 6.32 and eats two eggs. Well, that's not something that... Like, if every single successful person did that, okay, maybe I would wake up at six thirty-two yeah. and eat two eggs. But I, I do really believe, like you said, in like not trying to reinvent the wheel, looking at successful people and trying to deconstruct what are they doing and and how can I take some of that and put it into my life. Um, right. I it's just that constant learning, and like you said, like none of this is rocket science, and. You know, it's it's fairly simple stuff, but that idea, I, I think you've made it pretty clear just in what you said, like that constant learning. People ask me like, well, how do I, like, how did you get to what you're doing? And it's like, well, I'm just every day, I'm trying to read a book. Last night I was reading a new book and I'm listening to podcasts and, you know, I found your stuff on social media and I follow that stuff and I'm not going to build a house. I'm not going to ever design a house like that, but I like to understand those concepts um, it just helps me be better at my job. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, you know, I, for, for years, I've been telling my kids success breeds success, right? If you're successful, all it is going to do is just sow more success for you, right? Because someone out there is going to start talking about it and there's no better marketing than third party marketing, Right. If, if I go around telling everybody ZK painting is the best painter in New England, you, you can put out tens of thousand dollars worth of ads, but it's not worth as much as me getting up in front and saying, these guys are the best painters around, right? Because everybody expects you to say it, but yeah. having that, that third party, and, and it is, it's like, once you understand how to be successful, then it's it's almost like a, uh, a like a drug, right? You, you're just you're striving for that next level of innovation or thought that like how do I break through this problem? It's like I, I know there's an answer, and how do I break through this? And then you get through that, and you know all you realize is every time you open a door, it just leads to a hallway of doors, right? It never leads you to the room. It's life is a consistent journey. You never, you never get to the destination. There is no destination. I'm convinced, right? Because if there is, then that means you quit, right? Yeah. And you stop. And and as humans, we don't even really like getting there. It, 
there's enough data now that I think people can look at their lives. Like it's the it's the pursuit of happiness that makes us happy. It's it's not actually yeah. like when you go after a goal, it's that chasing of the goal that fulfills us and makes us like fill full. You know, think about how many times you have that big thing. Like one day, if I ever got to here, and you and you work so hard to get there, and then you get there. Like it's never what you think it's going to be, but then you get that new thing. And that's where the real enjoyment comes. It's like, what's the next challenge I'm going to take on? You know, that's what gets me going. And I think it's like you had alluded to it. It sort of is like the, like in good to great, they talk about the flywheel effect and there's like the momentum that will come from like one little success and like one little, one more and one more. And eventually you start to like train your body and your brain to just be a success machine. And then right. like, you see it all the time. Like you said, tipping points, you see it's like overnight successes. It's like, no, no one's an overnight success. There might be 20 no, years of no. grinding in the background. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, that, you know, 10,000 was a 10,000 hour rule. Like you don't even know what the hell you're doing until you put in 10,000 hours. You can't, you can't even speak legitimately about what, what it is system or whatever that you're doing unless you've put in at least 10,000 hours, right. To, to get an understanding of it. And, uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, I just had a thought. I, I lost it. Um, it'll come back to me, but, uh, that I was going to talk about before you sidetracked me. Um, sorry, I have a uh, tendency to do that. No, that's okay. Uh, oh, oh, um, so, I, I have to, you know, as an architect, I have to consistently remind myself that, like, I will do a project and, like, I'm doing this one now. We got some exciting ceilings and stuff. I'm sure you've seen me post them, you know, that are all this clear fur and all this stuff. But it's like, I love it, but I'm getting bored with the project. Like, those ceilings have been installed. Yeah, we're putting in hardwood floor. Yeah, the kitchen's coming. But I'm, I'm on to the next project. Like, that there, there's not, there's not enough adrenaline pumping into me from this project now because we're kind of past the excitement level, right? We're, we're cruising now to the finish line and that, that has a certain level of boredom. And I have to remind myself because even the homeowner sometimes are like, wow, you don't even seem excited today. No, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited. And I have to kind of, you know, play it up, but it's like, you know, what, when, when you're first starting out and you're demoing, you're like, oh, man, I can't wait to see this kitchen. I can't wait to see that wall of windows or whatever. But once the wall of windows are in, you're like, yeah, OK, let's go up the street to the other job because the, the wall of windows are in. I'm bored with this now. I've seen it. I, I need to move on. Yeah. What's the, what's the next level stuff that we're doing? But, we you know, we, we, we got to stay conscious of it and, uh, and still be That's excited right. for it. So. There's a. Man, it might be called actually rocket fuel. There's a book where they talk about the implementer. They, I'm going to butcher mm. the names, but it's like the ideas person and then the implementer person. And I, I'm 100% that visionary. I love to like come up with a plan and like start the ball rolling, but I'm not the best guy at pushing that ball across the finish line. Yeah. Like the, the implementers, those people that, they they want to follow every letter of the law and they want to really like focus in the details and they that's what gets them going where 
what gets but, me going is the coming up with the idea and getting it going and thinking about all the things. And then, like you said, once the product is like smooth sailing, I'm like, I'm lucky. I get to go on to the next one and sell the next one and think about how we're going to do the next one where I have a team in place where I have people who are really good at the follow through. And yeah. I'm, I'm really lucky that I've been able to understand that concept and look for those types of people and hire those types of people that can like my assistant is a perfect example. Like she is the absolute opposite of me and she's so good at like follow through where that's definitely one of my like weak points. But she probably doesn't want to think about it. Right. She wants no. you to tell her, Hey, go do this. And she will turn it into diamonds, but yes. she's not the one to, to, to set the direction and set it in motion. And it's, it's yeah. funny that you say that. Cause when I think of, all the good builders I work with, there's the owner that typically sells the project. And then like, once we start construction, you very rarely see him, right? Cause he's out whining and dining and selling the next project. And there's that one guy that's in the trailer or just on the job site every day, scratching his head. And he's the one with the boatload of knowledge. And he's, and, and you know, the homeowner or the, owner of the company realizes, yeah, that's, that's my guy. He's, he's the reason I'm successful. It's like, I can sell the job, but without him, it would never get done. And it was certainly wouldn't get done to that level of success. And I, and I think part of being that business owner is finding that person, like how, how can you do that? And, and it's, and it's, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, I don't want it to sound like it's something below you it's everybody has a certain set of skills and everybody has a certain thing that they want to do and there's certain things that they're good at right i mean my, my daughter she just graduated but her modeling skills are killer it's like she's up my game exponentially in showing clients you know 3d photorealistic you know imagery and she she doesn't you know, she's not designing the building. She doesn't know how to put that wall together necessarily, but she can build a model with the best of them. And so I can couple chicken scratches, build some stuff, give it to her. And then we walk into the meeting like, you know, we're a million bucks, you know, and, it, and it's a team effort. Yeah. Right. It's uh, it's even like uh, I remember seeing um, the last time Frank Lloyd writes, um, all, all his drawings and models and stuff went um, through the country on a show. Um, I was in, in college. This was, you know, early 90s. And I remember going there, but in realizing, like, all these great sketches and stuff, they weren't his. Like, he, he sold the idea. He came up with the vision. But he had a woman in his office that was an extremely good artist. So she took his vision and turned it into gorgeous drawings and renderings. And it, it wasn't him, right? But the idea was his, but not, not the actual physical artistry. So everybody's got their somebody, right? If you, if you think you yeah. can do this all alone, you're mistaken. And, you know, the, the, the first thing, first bit of advice I would give anybody starting out at a business is take a long, hard look at yourself and understand what you're good at and understand what you suck at and and then figure out how to how you can 
you know, excel at the things you're good at, but how do you find the right support for the things that you're not so good at? Because that's, that's building the right team. And the last thing you want to do is hire somebody that has the same skills as you, because then you're both at a loss, right? You, you need that counterpart to, to solve it, which, you know, which is, you know, it's, a, it, it's like our podcast. I, I, I don't know if you're familiar, but we have a, the Unbuild It podcast, right? Peter Yost, myself, and Jake. And, and yeah, we crap all over each other because we're friends in the podcast. But the reality of it is, is that all three of us understand what each of us are doing, but we see it from through three different sets of filters. And so even though we're looking at the same thing, right, I see things like, you know, how is that going to look? How does it relate to the aesthetics? Peter looks at it and says, is that going to be able to dry? And Jake is going to sit there and say, well, how much does that cost? And there is there a way to engineer? But we're all looking at exactly the same detail. We're just looking at it differently. And, and I think that's part of why that podcast is successful is that there's, there's three of us that are looking and talking about the same thing, but we don't see it the same way. And, uh, you know, that offers people different views because somebody out there can relate to one of us. Yeah. Right? And it's way, e I think it's way easier to take your strengths and double down on them and hire for your weaknesses than it is to take your weaknesses and try to get them up to average. And then your strengths don't get any better because you spend all your time trying to figure out your weaknesses. Uh, yeah. For a long time, I, I didn't get that concept. And, you know, you need to be everything to all the time. You, you have to be, you can't have those weaknesses. And it's like, no, I know I have some strengths. I'm going to double and triple down on them. And then I'm going to find people around me to make up for my weaknesses. Because that's yeah. what I looked at successful people. And that's what they were doing. You know, it wasn't some genius mm -hmm. epiphany. It was like, what are these other people doing? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I, I had the ability, the, the chance and opportunity to work with some extremely successful people. And, and it's funny because I, I tell everybody this one story. I was working for this one guy who was, he was CEO of an international finance company, like, you know, 14 offices around the world um, and extremely smart gentleman. And, and I was doing a project with him that was kind of more like a hobby project because he, he was living in a $25 million house that he built a couple of years ago. And this was a little hobby project of a property that he had. But I remember the first time I didn't agree with him and I said, no, I think you're wrong. And he looked at me like he's, you know, he's heard it before, but he was still kind of like, okay, I'm used to just people you know, running and jumping and telling me that I'm right and, and living with it. And when, when we kind of had our conversation um, and, you know, I, I made my argument and he's like, okay, I can see that and blah, blah, blah. But kind of from that point on in the project, he would always say, well, I think we should do this, but let's get Steve's opinion. And, you know, when I came around or in a meeting, he would say, hey, we were talking about this the other day. What do you think about this? But it hit me that this is why the guy was the CEO of an international finance company. It's not because he had all the answers. He knew what questions to ask and he knew who to trust and who to put in that position to take care of the things that he couldn't take care of. 
And, and I think that's, you know, that's important in everything that we do. You know, I work with general contractors that work with subs and, you know, there's some out there that are really good general contractors. And then, you know, they have one or two subs that you kind of have to watch a little closer than some other subs. But, uh, but it, you know, everybody has their, their strengths and weaknesses, and it's just trying to play the game and figure it out, make it work for you. I love what you said there about actually standing up for like how successful at what you found standing up for yourself and knowing what you're talking about. Um, I think as, as a lowly sub, as a paint contractor, a lot of like people do view up my trade. You know, they, they can look, it's easy to look down on painters, let's say, because everybody thinks they can do it. Everyone thinks, you know, what they, you know, and we have not done a lot as an industry to, uh, bolster our reputation there's plenty of guys who are not a shining example of what paint contractors can be so it's sort of a lot of things are going against us um and oftentimes i do have to say like every time i haven't said this is like i I was telling a friend today we had a project where we used a transparent stain and i had recommended against it and i said it's not going to last very long it has very little pigment and they really liked the very little pigment part, and they ignored that it's not going to last very long part. Well, then they weren't happy when it didn't last very long, and it it hurt the relationship to the point where we we don't work with them anymore. And I looked at it, and I was like, like I didn't stand up for myself, and just at the time I was a younger contractor, and I hadn't I hadn't had this mistake yet to learn from, and yeah. I just was like sort of trying to make them happy. And I was talking about this before of like having those difficult conversations where it's just like, no, that I know that this is not what you want. You can even tell me that you, it's what you want, but I know it's not. So I, I'm willing to either do this or like, I'll never use it again. Like I will walk away from the next project. The client insists right. on putting transparent stain on. And until you, until I've been able to do that stuff in business where I like, I'll walk away if this isn't going to be a good fit for us. For a long time, I didn't have the luxury to do that. But once you do, mm-hmm. you find like magically people start to treat you very differently. And oh, it's yeah. like, it was like, oh, this, yeah. like this thing. I had no idea how amazing it could be just standing up for yourself as a, a as an expert and going, no, this is, and and then just being quiet and watching them completely transform the way they treat you. Um, so I think there's a lot to be said for just like knowing what you're talking about and then letting making it clear um and not letting people another one i used to tell my kids that you know growing up i I have three they're 24 23 and my son's about to turn 21 but they will tell you like their whole life i would say you know there's a whole nother world on the other side of fear right the fear of telling somebody no i won't do that the fear of just getting over this or whatever whatever it is it's we we have this fear in us that it's it's far more easy and comfortable to succumb to fear than it is to overpower it right but there is a like you just said there's a whole nother world on the other side of fear and and i experienced the same thing the minute you push back a little or you tell people yeah i mean or, or you give them a price and they say well is that you know is there something that we can work with that it's like if i thought i could work it don't you think i would have gave you a lower price like that's what the cost is and even with builders i tell people you know they're like hey 
can, can you know, is there any way we can work that price? And I have a really good builder friend that, you know, he's like, oh, let me go back and take a look at it. And I'm like, that's the dumbest thing you could do. Because if you if you go back and you come up with a lower price, then you look like you were a criminal trying to rip them off, right? Because how all of a sudden did you find this lower price? Why didn't you give them the best price to do that job? It's either that or now you've traded something in to get that lower price and they're sitting there saying, well, what the hell did he do to take 20 grand off this price? Right. Am I not getting the, the same job? And, and I, I have one that's a, a painter story, a client that I, I we were doing a design build. We had a, a particular builder and then another client around the corner, again, design builder with the same builder. Well, the client around the corner hired a different builder. Like, all of a sudden, she's like, yeah, um, you know, I sent the drawings to so-and-so. And I'm like, well, what about, you know, Tommy? And she's like, well, you know, I just thought we should get another price and blah, blah, blah. And this guy came in like $30,000 cheaper. And I was like, where do you think this guy is saving? When you go from 250 to 220 I mean, do you, do you think the lumber yard's giving him a hell of a discount? I mean, where, where do you think $30,000 comes from? And then that client turned, talked the one around the corner into it. And it was like probably three quarters of the way through it. And that client around the corner fired the guy. And and she said, Steve, you got to come over and walk through the house with my lawyer because I want to sue him and this and that. And, you know, the paint job was, I mean, you would have been like, oh, my God, it, my dog could have painted better tying a tying a paintbrush to his tail and just having him you know wag his tail across the wall there were runs drips and everything but the the woman was crying and and you know i, I maybe sometimes i'm not nearly as sensitive as i should be but i'm like why why are you crying and she's like i can't believe this happened i said where did you think you know the the dollars reduction comes from this guy probably hired two kids that came over here after high school after class and painted these rooms. I mean, if, if he told me it was otherwise, then I would say the guy's either blind or something because the job was horrendous. But that's that's how you save 25,000, is you don't pay qualified people to do the work, you just find anybody to do that work. And then this is where you end up. And it's, yeah, it's it's disgusting that our, and, and we're, you know, everybody's to blame. There's the guy that undercuts you, but then there's the client that looks at it and says, instead of paying you $15,000 to paint this, oh, this other guy will do it for eleven. It's like, well, how the hell is he saving $4,000? The, the house didn't change or the, the painting scope didn't change. So where is that? Does he not want to make money or what? What what's the story? Where Where is this all coming? And the crazy thing is like, it's, it's often intelligent successful human beings who run businesses oh, yeah. who know how costs work but when it comes to painting and building they'll just go well this i and i often think but yes so they'll go well this guy's cheaper and i honestly i think a lot of times it's on the contractor it's it's my fault for presenting myself as a paint contractor in a way that made you think that we were comparable. So, you know, if, if my sales process 
looked pretty much the same as that other guy's sales process. And my estimate looked pretty much like the other guy's estimate. And my website looked pretty much the same. And, you know, my Google reviews are all pretty like if, if I didn't do something to separate myself from everybody else out there, then, or at least make it much easier for the client. Like often our price, our prices were the highest price always. So I submit a bid for a price and if you if, if you were to get other prices like mine is way higher every time well how do i get a client to hire me well i i better do a lot of things different than those other guys did mm -hmm. because the paint job comes after the fact after they hire me they get to see the paint <laughs> right like they have people hire builders and painters before any work ever gets done so right. and oftentimes as a painter i i'm a I always say like I'm a recovering craft person turned business person. Like I love painting and nerding out about painting. And I used to think if I just gave you the perfect paint job, you would love me and you'd tell everybody about me and I'd be rich. And the truth is like the paint job comes at the very end. And if the customer experience isn't awesome and the sales and marketing process isn't awesome, the paint job, like you don't even get to give the, the great paint job. So it is, it's interesting. Some client, and then the worst part is a lot of times those clients who save, try to save the money, I'll get those phone calls, right? We'll get the phone call, oh, the paint job's failing, blah, blah, blah. We don't ever, almost never do we do them because the same mentality of the cheap person doesn't all of a sudden switch and go, well, now oh, I'm no. going to spend a bunch of money to have it fixed properly. Yeah. So no, but it's a fascinating mentality. And I don't know where it comes from exactly. Yeah, trying to get them to see the value in it before they they actually do it, and and it's unfortunate too. The painter, you're already you're you're entering the project where anxiety is already at an all time high, right? I mean, you're the people are like, can you just freaking paint that room? Like, come this weekend so I can move in, you know, a week early or whatever. And chances are they've already spent whatever contingency dollars that they had, and and you're just you're it's it's the wrong time, you know, to to be in there and, and trying to to do that. It's a it's a huge challenge of how do you do that, and it's it's one of those that I think you do. You have to, you know, the the hardest thing would be is you you have to stick to your guns there and say, listen. It, it's going to take us 16 days to paint this house out and it, we're, we can't do it in 14. We can't do it in 15 and a half. It's 16 days and that's what it takes. And and I'm always coaching my clients, you know, like, oh man, I wish they move faster. I was like, no, this is not when you want them to move faster. Everything that we're doing in these last four weeks of the project is everything you're going to touch and see for the next 20 years. We want to make sure that's absolutely perfect. So don't don't rush it. You've been living in your mother's basement for 18 weeks. Live there for 19. And then you're going to have 20 years of living in this house. Do not push to get in there a week early. You know, and, and have God, we got to work on a project together. I want <laughs> that being said to my clients at the end of a project. That is so nice just to hear that perspective because, man, we don't, I feel like we don't get that a lot. Did Steve cut out? You, you got to have the, the right, the right stuff and, and you got to have it right. I mean, again, painting is just another system that 
there's certain things you have to do and you have to sand it, clean it, and then you have to wipe it down. You can't paint over all the sanding stuff. You can't save a day by doing that. And I, I remember I was on a project and one of the painters, he had a guy going around with a metal spatula and, and on all the walls. And I was like, what are you doing? And he says, oh, run your hand on the, on the plaster. You'll feel all these little bumps there. He's just cleaning up all these little bumps on the plaster and stuff. And I was like, holy crap, never, never thought of that before. And, you know, it's just, I mean, everybody's got their, their way of doing things and, and being successful, but there's also these people that they do. There's, you know, I, I find it, I find it very intriguing that there's passionate people in everything, right? Like, I mean, there, there's passionate people that are painters and some people would say, yeah, like you said, you know, some painters, they don't, the, the con painting contractors don't necessarily get the credit that they deserve. And, and the same with architects, there's bad architects out there that charge a whole lot of money that don't do their job or do it halfway. And they rely on the builder to solve problems that they should have solved for. And, you know, everybody has their, their bad, but it's, it's really intriguing. You know, one of, one of the other questions I always get asked is like, what's, what's your favorite project? I said, the one that was with good people and was a good journey, right? Because I would rather work with exceptional builders, the right client, good painters and, and masons and framers than to work on a 7,000 square foot house with no budget where everybody is just aggravated along the way. But that's not fun. Right. I I want to I want to I want to feed off everybody else's passion and, and, you know, and hopefully they can feed off of mine that we're, we're all in it to, you know, stand there one day at the end for two minutes and say, yeah, we all did that. All right. Let's do the next one now. Yeah. How <laughs> much do is? you get into the the building, the coatings in your spec sheet? and all that stuff like how much is coatings a thing you deal with or is it more the building science behind it yeah i do more of the building science because the the problem with the the coatings and that is is that every contractor has their painter most of them right at least the good ones and they have their one guy that they call you know felipe you know felipe's my painter he he does it and and felipe does a great job for this particular builder you know, or whoever it is. And so you trust that, that Felipe has done his job and, you know, like me and like good builders and good plumbers, it costs a certain amount of money to be who we are, right? I'm sure you go to painting conferences as boring as it may seem to some people, but go in there and talking to some German company about these next generation coatings has got to be pretty exciting for you. Right. To Absolutely. understand that these are, yeah, like you said earlier, you know, nerd out on them. It's it, everybody has that. It's like me getting the latest, greatest modeling program like SketchUp or something. You know, when that first came out, it's like, oh, my God, look at this. I can stretch this, move this, change this with pretty much ease and, and not have to. And it was, it was a game changer. And uh, but it's. You know, it, it, it costs a certain amount for us to be who we are. And then we have to, in turn, charge people for that, right? Because you're not, you're not getting Charlie in a pickup here, 
that goes by Home Depot, picks up a couple of brushes and a couple of cans and bangs out, you know, the bathroom and new master bedroom suite. You're, you're getting somebody with some knowledge to do it right. And when you walk away, it's, it's done right. Which, you know, it, it, an, another thing that I always found interesting that I, I have discussions with some builders is just this idea of punch list. It's, it's a pet peeve of mine, but if you're a builder, like it, there, there's one builder that I, I know, and it, he's the kind of the one that set me off on this pet peeve track, but he said, I never use the word punch list because all that's really saying is, hey, wait, wait a minute, Mr. and Mrs. Homeowner, you can't move in yet because it's not perfect. I made a bunch of mistakes that I'm going to correct. It's like, what the hell is that? You shouldn't have a punch list. It should be. The house is either done or it's not done. There's no the punch list is, yeah, we're not quite done, right? No, but then that just means you're not done. If your painter's got to come in and, and touch some things up or the finished carpenter's got to come in and, you know, put in the last couple of pieces of molding or fix a couple of joints, then have them do that. The, the idea of punch list is baffling to me personally. That's like, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it is. It's you know what's also baffling to me is how I I think in my experience a lot of the best paint contractors in the country aren't working for contractors. So to me which is sad because the architects like yourself are relying on the painters from the contractors and yet the best painters aren't working for the contractors because of the whole game that's set up with price point and all these things like that. Like we, we just don't, we work with a small handful of builders because we're just, we're not price. We're not going to compete on price with the other painters or very few. There's a, a handful that we do, but for the most part we don't. So I find I, I get very frustrated with the new construction world because it, the painting is a sort of afterthought, quite often and and it's just these beautiful custom homes get these average paint jobs as the standard and yeah. I, you know it's something that we're working hard to try to change um with social media with this podcast with inter talking to architects where i had another architect on and um david andriozzi and we were talking about uh i was going over like why fine paints of europe is so special and why we use so much of it and what makes it different and blah blah, blah. and how i see a lot of architects we get plans from architects and it they will be what i would call fundamentally wrong coding specified for surfaces and and he was like well we, why don't you <laughs> i love it david's great guy he's like why don't you just uh go to architects and tell them, uh, Hey, I'll come in and audit your paint spec. And I was like, I mean, I'd love to do that, but I don't know many architects would be like, Oh sure. Come on in audit our paint right. spec. We'd love to have you. Um, but he's like, well, let's put together a white paper and we'll c come up with a paint spec that kind of goes over some stuff. Um, I do think from my perspective, there is some, there is a, a bit of an issue with the way this, the industry is set up for new construction the way the bidding process works and all that stuff like that. Um, but I would imagine you're working you in ever, a world. Did you ever I get your, contracts where, 
you contract with the homer directly because the builder and this is baffling to me too when when i sit back and it's it, what's cool for me is over the 30 years i've worked with a lot of builders guys that i would consider exceptional guys that are you know have come up through the ranks of they started out doing decks and then they did a small sunroom then they redid a kitchen and then they did, you know, a kitchen family room addition and master bedroom suite. And then they might have built a house or two, but they came up through the ranks. And I always find it interesting that there's there's some builders I know that will tell the homeowner, hey, here's two painters that, that do a good job. I'll just let you contract with them directly because I don't want to be involved in it. And I was like, and, and then there's the, the builder that's very successful and he's like, I want everything to go through me because I I'm, I want to be responsible for everything. Painters, landscapers, everybody. You come to me, I give you everything you need for this house. It's one-stop shop. And then there's the builders that, yeah, just here, here's the name of a couple landscapers we've used in the past. Or here's a tree guy. Why don't you have him do it? And and I would, I'd sit there and I'd, some of these builders I'm really good friends with. And I was like, so you're telling me that instead of getting a number from the tree guy of five grand to remove those trees and then going to the homeowner and saying, Hey, it's going to cost six grand to get rid of those trees. And you get paid a thousand dollars to manage that job as opposed to you just turn it on for them. And then all of a sudden that guy is now using his excuse. Oh yeah. My foundation guy had to go somewhere else because the trees weren't taken out in time. And now the homeowner's pissed and he's like, well, hey, it was your tree guy. And it's like, well, like, are you in charge or are you not in charge? What, what, what's the story here? It's, you know, it's kind of baffling that, to me, but painting is definitely one of those. Yeah. And in my, in my case, we, I mean, we, I mean, we just don't do very much new construction, but when we do stuff, remodels and stuff like there, there will be times where we work directly for the client because the client has decided they want. A lot of times we get brought in because of what we do is could be considered a specialty finish, you know, just high end fine finish stuff. And there'll be another painter on site and we'll do like that project. We did the handrails and a couple rooms and the island. And then the other painter painted the rest of the place. So, we, you know, in that case, we're working for the client because they brought us in. Um, it's it's just interesting when because the, the the a lot of times the gc model is you know i have to get budget i've done this in the past and they, hey can you get me budget numbers for x this project okay well then the other two gcs they're getting budget numbers from their painters for that project and then they're going to bid and if you come to me for your budget numbers for that project a lot of times like and that's where it's like i need i need a face to face with the client I need to understand what do you really want? How do I tailor a paint job to meet your needs? I'm not just going to give you this like cookie cutter thing because you're, I mean, you're building a beautiful custom home. Don't, I mean, right. everything else in this has been well thought out and many options weighed. Why is the paint just considered just paint it? I don't know. It, it's, it's something I think, I know we, we also offer some things that aren't standard. And so it makes it, where like if you ask me for my A level work, like, it's going to be significantly different than the average painter's A level high end work, and right. I don't know. We we definitely struggle with the new construction stuff though, 
And oftentimes I feel like clients are getting let down on the high end new construction with as far as coding. Yeah, well, paint just doesn't have the priority that the custom kitchen cabinets or the appliances do or that. It just doesn't, it it just doesn't have that priority. And, um, and it's, it's sad because, you know, people always ask, how much does that cost a square foot or this or that? And it's like, I, I tell, I, even my own clients, I tell them, good things cost money. You know, they, they say, hey, can you, can you do this? Oh, yeah, we can find a guy to build that skylight. And they come back and it's like, yeah, that skylight's 12 grand. Holy crap. Hey, it's two foot by 12 foot long. Custom. It's it's beautiful. It's going to look awesome in that space. Good things cost money. Yeah. Right? I mean, and, and, and the funny thing is, is, a lot of my clients, I'm, you know, I'm familiar with what their job is. Now, they don't have a problem charging through the nose for their services, right? Oh, yeah, I'm worth it. But then they don't want to pay it to somebody that's yeah. worth it for their what they do, which I always find pretty interesting. But but I think that's human nature because, I mean, I, I've done some work in my house. I had, you know, some friends that are a builder and they, they pull up and, they, they pull off a couple planks of Versatex or something off of their truck, and then they hand me a bill for 600 bucks. And it was like, it was like four boards. They're like, yeah, this stuff costs money. It ain't cheap. And I was like, holy crap. You know, it's like, now I got to pay 600 bucks. And I, you know, he carried it all in one load to the backyard. I was like, holy crap. <laughs> you know? It's but, also uh, the problem. I think one of the issues that I see as a painter is, yeah, we're at the end, like you said, like we face face some serious budget pressures and time pressures. But also like 99% of GCs I know are carpenters turned general contractors. Like they love the wood. They'll they'll nerd out about tr- the different copings and the all the things and the, they spend all this time and energy and money on millwork stuff. Because that's what they love. That's what they know. And I, I I know I've heard of like one GC that used to be a painter and I've always thought one day maybe I'll get into GC work and all my houses will have the nicest paint jobs. <laughs> yeah. But they'll put up, yeah, they'll, they'll put up $40,000 worth of mill work and then they'll put a $3,000 paint job on it. And it's like, what are you stupid? It's like, it's, it's, I, I run into that exactly same thing scenario, just different ways. Like, I'll use these triple glazed European windows and we'll spend, you know, seventy, eighty thousand dollars on the house. And then the contractor is like, hey, can I substitute and use this tape? And I'm like, why do you want to do that? Well, I can save four hundred bucks. And I'm like, so let me get this right. We're gonna spend eighty thousand dollars on windows, and you're gonna save four hundred dollars by going to a lesser grade tape to protect the flashing and installation of these windows. I said, Are you retarded? No, we're not gonna do that. You know, it's, I, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, it's crazy. And I, I got a question for you as a painter. Cause I, I run into this not quite often. There was one painter that used to get under my skin all the time. I did a lot of work with this one builder and this, this guy was his painter and you know, the, the homeowner sometimes, okay, we're, you know, my daughter, Sally's room, we'll let Sally pick out the paint color where you paint, you know, she picks out the paint. You, you you tell them, hey, just paint like a two-foot square so we can get a sense of the color. And you go in there and he paints the whole wall. And it's like, 
why didn't you just paint the two foot square? And it's like, I'm not going to waste my time with that. You just paint the wall so you can see it. And, and he would get all frustrated. And then it would look like Pepto-Bismol. So you'd say, well, we're going to change the paint color. And he'd roll his eyes in the meeting and he'd get all frustrated. And it's like, you're a freaking painter. Why are you complaining about being a painter? If the homeowner wants to pay you 10 times to repaint that wall, then repaint it 10 times. Or here's a thought. Don't be a painter if you don't want to paint. Absolutely. I love it. I'm here to serve my clients. All I ever want to do is make my clients happy and give them a great product. Yeah. Like, yes, I see it. And, and like my, my ideal client for a long time has been the analytical buyer, the, the person who wants to really understand all the data behind why are you doing what you're doing? Then they want to sleep on it for some time and then they'll, then they make their decision. And I didn't know all that stuff. I just, those were the guys who hired me before. Cause I am very like the chemistry behind the coatings. Why are we doing what we're doing? Like, that's what I love to talk about. I, I have a freaking painting podcast. Like I like to talk about painting. Yeah. And so, and I, I just had, um, I just had a, a very long conversation with the client like hour and 45 minutes. And he was asking me every little tiny thing. Right. And it was, he, it was, I was really actually enjoying it. Like it was really long and we did beat some co topics like a dead horse, but I, he understood every chemistry type of chemical we were going to wash his house with, you name it. We went there and, but the GC wanted nothing to do with it. And they, they actually walked away from the client and, like moved on because they like they didn't want to that's not their type of sales process they want to be he's no. like he's like you know and i think that it, everyone has their different stuff but that's what i live for because but at the end of the day i also know like that guy's gonna pay what it costs to do what he wants done and he made that very clear yeah. um but not everybody wants to really go deep like that no and it's but it's, it's the, you know, I'm here as a painter. My job is to serve my client's finishes wish, right? And, and that same painter, you know, we, we had in there and it, it, it was a new house and he might have had like, okay, four different colors or something. And then the homeowner is like, well, we decided we're going to paint the laundry room this color and we're going to paint this this other color. And he's like getting all bitchy about, oh, I only have four colors in my contract. It's like, okay, just charge them for the extra two. <laughs> they they know they're going to do it. And then it's like, well, you know, for the outside, she's not sure. Can you get just a couple small cans and paint these four colors over on the, the west side of the garage so we can check it out? And it's funny because with that painter, he does it like, all pissy, him and on four freaking colors. You can't pick a color; they all look the same. It's like just pick one, lady, so I can paint your house. And it's like, really? And then I I work with some really good builders, and their painter. You go around the corner, and there's not four colors; there's six because he sits there and says, "Well, I know you wanted these four, but I think these two might have been closer to what we talked about. So I, I got a couple samples of that, and I put those up there too. And it's like, where has this guy been all my life? Right? Well, I, you know I'm what the biggest difference arguing. is? The difference in those two guys, I'll tell you right now, it's price. 
That yeah. like nine times out of ten, the difference between those two guys is one guy has is either getting grinded down on price or he's grinding himself down on price. He doesn't know or believe he can charge more, and he and he's sure not delivering more. So it's kind of a catch twenty two. But those are the cheap guys. Those guys he's he's not making any money painting every day for a living, right? He's being grinded down by the system or by himself or who knows what. And and then the guy over here, like we charge what it costs. We're glad to go the extra mile. I have it in my budget to do things like let's do sample boards. Great. No problem. Yeah. Like I, That's not a problem. I didn't get grinded down to every little tiny penny. And now I'm being asked to do more. And I think that, that there's a big difference in, in getting, if you, when you pay somebody, what they're worth and you pay them a, like it's fair and that those gcs that take good care of their painters versus the gcs which a lot of gcs will grind their painters and right. i know a lot of painters that work for gcs and i just feel bad for them because they're not making any money they're chasing their tail they're working so hard for the next one for the next one they have all this volume and they don't make any money and they're not appreciated but, but i don't know it's it's a yeah. it's an interesting system this new construction stuff especially mm -hmm. as it relates to painting yeah i mean it's it is it's it's really interesting and it's yeah i i don't i mean it's it's totally perspective too because you know if if we pick the right client in the beginning then their their thoughts should align with yours in that the the project should be a fun journey right and if a fun journey means you paint three blues on my son's wall. So we get to pick it out and I get to crack jokes with my son and, and have him pick it out and, and get excited over. Yeah. That's the same blue as the Red Sox Jersey or, or the same. I mean, we did one that it was the actual red that the Red Sox like red is. And, um, and they, they painted it or painted the same color as the green monster, whatever. But, that's like the exciting stuff. That's that's why we're doing what we do. Nobody wants to get up there and just slap paint on and it's like, hey lady, pick a color so I can friggin' paint the house. That that's not fun. Why why go why even wake up and go to work that day? If that's what your work day is like. It's it, it's not. And and I have the same thing. It's like and and, and sometimes it is. I admit that it is frustrating. It's like you come up with a good design scheme or something and you, I'm all excited. I go to the meeting and they're like, yeah, that's not really what we were thinking. And it's like, oh, here we go. You know, and then you get that. Well, I was at my sister's for Thanksgiving last week and in her family room, she has this. And it's like, okay, let's rebuild your sister's family room because you can't think on your own. So we'll just rebuild what she has. And, uh, but, but anyways, it's, uh, it is. It's it's finding the right client. You you'll love this. The one 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 of the builders, he's been in the business thirty five years. He's about to retire, but he told me years ago. He said, "Steve, he goes, the best advice I could give you is, I've had a handful of clients that I wish I paid five hundred dollars to go away. I would have made more money." Yep. You know. I, so it's, I'm it's, it's I'm fine tuning. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm working that muscle, that, that, uh, filter. I, I just had yeah. one that really changed the data point and re refined my filter and I'll protect myself against more clients like that in the future. But 
you know, you have to make some mistakes to get there. But I think being able to walk away or, or like you said, have a hard conversation and tell someone the honest truth and be able to walk away. Like I, I, people ask me a lot, like painters will talk, contact me. And it's like the first thing always is have more work than you can handle in, in a way that where you can be able to say no, like, or like, this is my price. I can't do it for less or, Oh, you want me to cut that corner? I can't like, you're going to have to call somebody else. You want me to paint outside when it's 30 degrees? Hey, you'll find a painter who'll do it. It's just not going to be me. But if you don't have, if you haven't kept state small enough, smaller than your demand, then you'll need work. And then you'll be a grumpy guy putting samples on because you didn't charge enough. Right. No, exactly. Exactly. It's, uh, I mean, it's a, it's an interesting industry. I, I wake up every day excited. I'm like, it, I just can't wait for what today will bring because I'm, I'm sure something new is going to come across across the desk that I've, I've never seen before or never had or in, in good and bad, right? It's not necessarily bad things. And it's, you know, the builders and, and crafts people out there that just think that mistakes don't happen. We talked about it earlier about being imperfect. It's like, you know, Hey, if you think you can build a, a 5,000 square foot house in in 12 months and something isn't going to show up late or show up broken or someone's going to make a mistake reading a dimension or something, you're pretty naive to think that those things aren't going to happen. Of course, they're going to happen. It's I, I tell my clients when we're interviewing builders at the front, I said, you want someone that's going to react to the problem the way you want them to react to the problem. Don't believe anybody that says they don't have problems because that person doesn't exist. You're, you're going to have problems. You just want the guy that knows how to react to them and, and isn't a, you know, I, I jokingly tell some of my clients, I said, yeah, that builder, he's a fireman, right? He's just, he's rushing over here. He puts that fire out and then he's got to rush over there and put that fire out because he has no sense of planning or organization or anything to allow for it. He's like you said, chasing his tail for his whole career, and he never really gets anywhere. You know, you're, all the builder off. The, all the best doing... builders I know, sorry, they they no, all right. seem to be these like insanely like mellow, calm dudes that like nothing rattles them. They're just always yeah. calm. And like you said, yeah. those are not guys who are putting out fires. Like those guys are steady eddies. They they have plans in place. That's like nothing. Like the building could be burning down, and they're gonna go. All right, the building's burning down. What do you want me to do? Call the fire department. Like, yeah. And then you meet the builders that were like, or really any business. This is probably true, but builders especially because of all the things the GCs, the GCs that are all over the place. Yeah, it's it's a lot more stressful to try to do that. And I think the same thing is true for in painting, like in what I do, like the calmer and the more like like slow and steady I approach this whole thing, mm-hmm. like the more success I have. Um, yeah. And expectations. I mean, I, I, I'm a huge, you know, pusher of trying to manage expectations. I tell everybody. It, you, you could call yourself a painter, a plumber, electrician, an architect, builder, foundation guy, landscaper, whatever. What it comes down to is people put a certain amount of money up 
and they expect a certain value in return. And if we don't deliver that and the expectations aren't met, then there's problems. And, and it, our whole business is about managing those expectations. That's success versus failure. You could charge whatever you want. I, 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 I know a builder that I, I have been in a meeting and he stood up and he told the homeowner straight in the face. He says, my business is set up to charge, you know, anywhere from $800 a square foot upward. I cannot do a project for less than that. If you keep pushing me to try and get that number below that, tell me now because I'm ready to walk out the door. And I was like, okay, now that's somebody I just drew a line in the sand. But he set, it, it, it was a little harsh, but he set the expectations. It's like, stop dicking me around. This is what I can do, and I can do it exceptionally well. But you get a certain value, and that value costs a certain amount. And if you're not willing to pay for it, then I'm going to take my value, and I'm going to walk my fanny out the door and go get the next cheaper guy. And good luck, because you're not getting the same service. And you know, we, we all want to be able to do that. And he's very fortunate that he's built a legitimate reputation where if he says he's going to do something, he does it. Right. If he says, I'm going to have 10 painters here and we're going to be painting that on Monday, 99.9 times out of 100, those 10 painters are going to show up on Monday. He's going to have them there and they're going to do it or he's going to look for a different painter. Right. Because the values that he imposes on his clients, he also imposes on the people that work for him, which that's the, the whole system of success. Right. That what you're asked to be, that what you offer to do, you also have to be willing to pressure somebody just like you. I mean, if you if you say, I, I can give you the best paint system, then you have to look at the European paint company and say, you have to give me the best paints possible and train me how to use them and give me the knowledge and understanding so that I can be my best and be the best painter here because I'm going to go out and say, I'm the best painter and I'm going to charge like I'm the best painter. But I can't do that unless my support system is doing the same value judgment that I'm doing. Totally. Is that GC in New England? Yes, he's in the Boston area. I like to meet I mean, that if you were, I like to meet guy. If, if, yeah, if you were building a house for, you know, 15, 20 million or more, he would he would be on your short list every time. I have a guess but I won't say it. But <laughs> if you have a good relationship with them, I'd love to meet them. Or, yeah, or I just, I mean, I, I, I've never done architecture work because being by myself, it's like I would have to shut everything I do down to work on one $12 million house. And if at the end of that, he said, yeah, I don't have anything right now, then I can't do anything about that, right? I mean, I can't go to all these other builders. So I'm kind of like, the, the guy, the builder that grew up doing decks and this and that, and now gets to do other stuff, right? I, I worked with builders and we did some garage. That same builder that I worked with 22 years ago, he still comes to me and says, Steve, I know this is boring to you, but I have this one project that, I, you know, it, these are some people that are in town. They want me to do a garage with a room, an office above or something. Can you, you know, would, would you want to do it? I'm like, sure. And he's like, really? And I'm like, you know, I, I treat it like you helped me 
become who I am. So why wouldn't continue to help you? Just just because I did that million dollar house last year doesn't mean I'm above doing a garage for you. I tell all the builders, and probably ninety percent of my work is through a um, you know half a dozen builders, right? That I just do all of their work. We team up with, and I tell them, I said, you know, we're we're a team. That's why we're successful. If if we're doing a garage, but you know, I'll do the garage for you. Just don't forget me when you get the client that wants the million and a half dollar house that, you know, the, the loyalty has to be there both ways. So we're still, still paying out little, you know, $120,000 kitchen remodel or, you know, new garage and mud room added on to the side of the house. And actually it's, it's also revived it having my daughter because those are great projects for her to cut her teeth on, right? That, I can get those projects all day. Like people in town yeah. here, oh, you know, we want to put a family room off the back or whatever. It's like, yeah, we'll go get that. And then I'll just watch over my daughter's shoulder while she does that project. And I can concentrate on the other stuff. Does you she know, have she gets experience. ideas or designs on uh, going and taking on those big $12 million houses? I mean, yeah, she's, she's excited yeah. to get there. She's, She's smart enough to know that she really doesn't have the answers. And, and it's, it's interesting because it's like, it, I mean, it would be no different than if I came down to your shop and said, yeah, I want to paint that handrail that you guys did today. And you just give me the bucket and the brush and say, yeah, go have at it. I wouldn't have a freaking clue on how to get that mirror finish on there. Right. Or, or how to get to that level. And sometimes I, I, I jokingly, like if, if I'm going away for the afternoon, going out to the vineyard or something to look at a project, I'll say, you know what, Here, here's the project book for this new project. Why don't you work up two or three schemes this afternoon, knowing that I'm going to come back and she's not going to have a scheme because she just gets <laughs> lost in it. And it's, but it's, it's kind of an eye opener that it's not easy. And you, we have yeah. to develop patterns for success and we have to understand. And it's not something that you went to school for six years. It just means you walk in the door. It's it's just like me walking into your shop thinking because I can hold a paintbrush and open the can that I'm a painter. I'm not. There's there's a And you watch me on Instagram. Yeah. So you so you and, should definitely know how, right? I saw yeah. you do it on Instagram. Yeah, how hard can it be? I watched that YouTube video. It's I mean, it's yeah. painting. How hard can it be? Or drywall. I mean, I tell her all the time, you know, we'll be walking through. We were walking through the other day, and there were a couple of guys plastering. And I said, just stand here and watch that guy. Because it looks easy, but if you went over there and he handed you that pallet full of plaster and that trowel, you would be lost. You would not figure it out. And and it it's just there's there's a talent there, but it's no different than when if I gave somebody, hey, here's a two acre site and then here's a program for the house. You know, we want a kitchen, family room, four bedrooms and stuff. Well, here, go design this house. It's, you know, people would sit there and go, where do I start? Like, how, what, what, where's the first line? Right. How do I write this story? We all have our experiences. and That's what makes our lives passionate and great right that we get to experience all that but anyway 
Yeah. Well, so this has been amazing. I really appreciate it. We have some questions that we ask at the end of every ZK Live. Uh, we kind of, they're brought. Yeah. Well, the last one is really fun. So we're going right. to dig deep. I'm on that one. I, I, love the, it. I love it. Good. The first two are, are much more fun. Um, so we have a, a, a I'm going to need a DIY tip for you for people who are trying to do some sort of design. Um, in your case, maybe it's not a great idea because I don't know if you should be doing a architecture DIY, but well, I'll uh, give you one. We'll do I, I, I have an answer to yeah. this, and 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 then I'll tell you what it is part of my secret sauce. So there's there's some privilege in getting what I'm about to say because this is this is really taking you into the vault and help you understand. But the minute I tell clients in a meeting what I'm about to tell you, you can see the bells go off and the understanding is clear. When you're designing a house, you can think of you can the, the names of the rooms, kitchen, bedroom, bathroom, laundry, living room. That's totally semantics. There's two types of rooms in a house. Where's my fingers there? Two types. There's hallways and destinations. There's rooms I go to to be in that room, and there's rooms that I'm willing to travel through that I don't care about circulation. And I'll give you a couple examples. I've, I was in this one house. It was a family room, probably close to 28-foot square. And I looked at the builder, and and I didn't design the house. He, I, I was there. We were at some other project. He's like, come on, I'll show you this house that I'm building. And we went in, and I was like, yeah, it's a nice house, but this is a house that's designed to look nice, not perform well. And he's like, what do you mean? I said, okay, we're in a family room. It's about 28 foot by like 24. I said, here's a question. Where would you put the TV and where would you put the couch? And he couldn't answer it. And I said, that's because this room is a 500 square foot hallway. You have all those patio doors out to the pool. You have all of this here that is visual access to the kitchen and the island over here you, you you know you have the stairway and whatever but there was like no place to put furniture in this room it was a giant like town square in the middle of the house and it was clearly a hallway and you know family rooms are rooms that i want to go to i don't want kids coming in a door and running in front of the tv you know when i'm trying to sit there and watch football on sunday it's like put that door somewhere else in 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 the hallway. Dining rooms make good hallways because they have circulation requirements around the table. Like you have to have access to every chair. So by default, dining rooms are hallways, right? They're just big hallways that you put a table in and people move around. Kitchens make good hallways. But family rooms, bedrooms, those are destinations, right? You don't you don't want to confuse the two and and that's where houses start to fail is when destinations become hallways and hallways become destinations. They, you, you, if you break it, if you just look at the house that way and how I'm going to use it, you'll get your exponential understanding of what you're doing. That was a <laughs> tremendous answer. I love it. I'm now going to look at every single building I walk into 
and critique it based off of that framework. So there you uh, go. that's a great tip. It's, it is that simple. All right. So how about what is your favorite piece of design paraphernalia? It could be a tool, a piece of software, um, anything. So that's a, that's a, a, a toss up because I love the ink pen. Like I can just sit there and, and, and it's not like a formal sketch. It's almost like if I'm just, if I was a writer and I just tap the keys on the keyboard to hear them, it's like mental, there's mental progress happening that kind of primes the engine. So it's like, it, maybe it isn't even the ink pen. It's in front of my keyboard, I always have a pad of graph paper because I'm always jotting down a dimension or a number or I'll look at something and I'll just do a really quick, like not even an understanding sketch, but it's, it's like a mental progression. And so I need that piece of paper because if I don't, it's, it's like it's my security blanket, right? It, it's what keeps my mind flowing by having that piece of paper because and it's it's one of those things too that a lot of times things just you get these mental blocks that I can't get over so if i if i draw a sketch that doesn't even mean anything it allows my mind to free itself of that idea and open the gate to the next idea love it so an ink pen and graph paper yeah Tremendous. i always have a piece of paper and i even i tell my daughter like the first day i'm like Always have a piece of paper there in front of you because the phone's going to ring. You need to jot down a number or you're working on a building section and you need that height because you need to go over here to the window schedule and, and need that. So you can jot down that number, but you, you need that security blanket. Yep. I love it. Or at least I do. All right. Now the best, the, the best uh, question. So we, you, you, we, uh, any, anyone who's listening that knows you knows that you are, are, very good at what you do uh you you're clearly demonstrated your expertise in the last hour and a half so now i need you to humble we got to bring you back down to reality and we need to hear like a horror story like the worst biggest mistake that you ever made on a project so one of the things that i absolutely hate is revising drawings it's a huge pet peeve of mine. And I like to work in, at a level of progression where I hope we're not changing major things. But we had this one client and, and the builder was part of the problem. And believe it or not, we ended up, the, the main house was in the right place, but this carport, the foundation was poured two feet off. It was poured and it was cast in the wrong place. And the builder never picked up on it. And I didn't. And it, it was it was like four weeks of just shuffling this. Hey, move this over a foot. No, let's extend it out 18 inches. Let's do this. Move this on the inside. And for whatever reason, the, the floor plan and the foundation plan weren't coordinated. And we were off by two feet on a couple piers. And in... It, it didn't make a huge difference. It, you know, the builder and I were like, oh my God, we're fretting over it because the whole idea of this carport was the guy had this tractor that he wanted to put under the cover and blah, 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 blah. 
And the builder was like, oh my God, we got to take this foundation out. We got to move this. We got to change that. And I was like, let's just go to the homeowner and explain what we did. It's like, you know, we've had excessive revisions here and yeah, okay, I, I, we should have caught it. I, I should have had it right, but you checking the drawings and all of that, you should have picked up on it too. And we're both there. You know, the homeowner said, he said, oh, it's no problem. I changed my mind. I'm going to put the tractor. I'm going to get, you know, uh, I'm going to put up one of these little steel buildings out back here. and We're going to put the tractor in that anyway. So, yeah, just we'll leave the carport right there. It's fine. It doesn't have to be the 26 feet. It's fine at 24 feet or whatever it was. And it, it, it did it. But, but it was, you know, from that point on, like we talked about earlier with mistakes, I could two things that scare the hell out of me, foundation plans and window schedules. Because both of them are big ticket items that once you say, here's the green light, there's no turning back, right? The concrete yeah. is, it's going in. And I'm, I, I just did this house um, up on the coast that is close to 7,000 square feet. And the foundation had probably 30 different elevations of footings, wall heights, slabs, partial crawl space, basement, depressed areas for the fitness room, all of this stuff. And I literally built a SketchUp model of the whole foundation, fully dimensioned it. Like I built it virtually exactly the way we would build it in real life. And then I turned all those drawings over to the builder and he's like, what's this? And I said, give these to the foundation guy. It is everything he needs to know about this foundation and it's in 3d and he's like oh my god that just saved him hours of time and i was like well it put confidence in me too because you know that's a it, it i don't know it's probably on the order of like 80 or 90k for this foundation and if it was poured wrong it's you know these aren't clients you want to go to and say oh i know you trusted us but yeah we screwed up especially yeah. early in the process yeah. The house isn't even up yet. We just, just dug a hole. Yeah. And there's there's things that, you know, when you look back, but it's like I can't beat myself up about it. But, I mean, it's like if you think back at the way you prepped the first three paint jobs you ever did, you probably don't do that that way anymore, right? Yeah. You you look at that and go, God, I was a freaking amateur there. And it's – it's it's funny because I have a lot of projects I can drive by and say, I mean, just in the town I live in, I probably have 60 projects. And some of them, it's funny because some of them I drive by and go, yeah, I'd probably not do that anymore that way. But there is two or three and I go, you know, that project's freaking 20 years old and I wouldn't change a thing with 20 years of experience. It is exactly the way I would have done it now. And, and it's only one or two of them, but then there's a handful that I'd say, yeah, I'd probably change it, but that's, that's experience, right? That's, that's yeah. who we are. And those people didn't pay. They, they got a fair value for what they paid. Well, I have to say, I'm disappointed. I thought you might have a story about a house that completely collapsed because the architecture was so bad. Um, no, no, I, I didn't, I didn't, that, I, didn't re I didn't have a building collapse. I don't. Through, how about what's I mean, I, the worst? I, can you, what's the worst you saw at Building Science Corporation? Like, what was the biggest mistake you ever saw there? You probably saw some oh, crazy I mean, things. Yeah, I mean, we we went out to Chicago and there was, you know, 
a double digit million dollar house that people couldn't even move into that had water problems. But probably one of the more disgusting things was we were, when I was there, we we're at the height of mold problems with vinyl wallpaper, vinyl wall covering on the inside in Southern climates. And so we would go down and go to, you know, someplace in Florida to a hotel or whatever, and we would peel back this vinyl wall covering that was literally a mold farm. Like it was so disgusting. And and then you would we would sit there and joke, me and the other gentleman, Neil, and be like, Yeah, someone slept in this room last night on that bed. And it's like, are you are you kidding me? And I do have it's it's a crazy story. I was traveling with a, a woman that uh, I worked with at Building Science Corporation. We were out in, uh, I, I want to say like Reno or Sacramento. We were out in that area. And uh, I, I hear all this hype. It's like the, the police and all this stuff. And I was like, what the hell is going on in her room? And come to find out, she woke up in the middle of the night and like, Turned the light on in the bathroom, and there was like a seven-foot boa constrictor on the floor. And the and the, the hotel was it was a, a, a let's just say a very modestly priced place. Okay. And but the story was is like two or three days earlier, like this reptile guy was staying there for a couple of days lost the snake and didn't tell anybody. And it like went and hid in the toe kick of the cabinet and he just left. And so she's <laughs> in there and she turns on the light and this thing kind of like turns around and looks at her and it's, and she's like, I mean, a lot of women would have been like screaming. She just kind of like shut the light off, walked out of the room and went to the front desk and told him, said, Hey, there's like a seven foot snake in my bathroom. Can we have somebody, you know, get rid of it? And uh, so I would have been freaking. I'd snakes, I, I, I could take a lot of things. There's not enough bullets in the world for snakes in my world. So, but, uh, <laughs> but I just, I mean, that's like one of the most outrageous stories that I've ever heard about hotels. It's uh, those it crazy. Anyway. Well, Steve, thanks again. I really appreciate the time. It was it was awesome. I I, I appreciate you having me, man. This is this is great. This is great. And I I got to come down and see some of that stuff because that when I looked at those railings on Instagram today, and I was like, how the hell do you even paint that? Like, how do you? It was like a mirror. It was that stuff was gorgeous, man. And I know you were up here working with Brian on on that deck project, and you made that look like a million bucks. That uh, yeah. you know your your guys had their system, one guy on the outside, one guy on the inside, and they just they just roll through it, and the place looked awesome. The best part is we're gonna maintain that wood every two to three years, and it will look just like that forever. And no one will ever have to strip that wood down to bare wood. It will never be all ugly because from the very beginning, we have the right product in place. The Armstrong Clark stain is the right product and it's going to be maintained and it won't be super expensive to maintain it. And it will always look beautiful. And too often exterior stain gets done and it doesn't get maintained. 
And then I get the phone call and it's this big, huge project now of stripping everything down and like the whole deal. So Mm -hmm. I I love to get to start from scratch with builds like that and put exterior stain on because now I know, like I put it in my calendar for two years from now that we will be reaching out to say, hey, it's been two years. We need to restain. I I would suggest you do. I mean, you don't have to do anything, but I'm going to suggest that we restain this deck. Um. So yeah, yeah awesome. that was really cool. You just became a huge resource for me, so now I know who to call. I, I'm a I huge questions. paint nerd. I've consulted with a few people on getting the coatings that the client wanted, even if we didn't do the work. Um, yeah, man, call me anytime. That's, that's I have that's awesome. I won't bug you too much because I have Kyle in my backyard. So no, you can you can call me. I mean, I'm. I'm actually doing a passive house down there with uh, Steve Demetric here that we're going to be starting real soon. So um, I'm, I'm I'd love out. to. Ne- next time you're down, give me a call and we'll. I'd love to come check it out. Yeah, yeah. Or for have sure. you by the shop one way or another? I'd like to meet I, Steve. I at would some love point to. Too. I, I've yep. heard good things. He's a great guy. Cool man. Good work. Awesome. Well, thank you. Sir. Awesome. Thank you.